This is Infertile Millennial, a podcast where we chat all things infertility, IVF, and surviving your fertility journey. I'm Emily Orlando, reminding you that you're not alone. Let's chat fertility. Welcome back to another episode of Infertile Millennial. Today, we have an exciting episode with our special guest, Kelly, who's been on her fertility journey since 2015. Kelly's story is inspiring and also a really good example of the ups and downs that IVF and infertility can bring. Today, Kelly decided to join the Brave Babes Club and share her intimate story with all of you. If you're interested in being on a future episode of Infertile Millennial and sharing your story with infertility, fertility treatments, or pregnancy loss, you can email me at emily at infertilemillennial.com. Also, don't forget to follow my personal Instagram. That's at emily. Orlando. It's E-M-I-L-Y-Y Orlando like Florida and our brand page at Infertile Millennial. There we often have story options for you to ask questions for future podcast episodes and today Kelly is going to be answering some of the questions that you guys have left me. So again if you want to be a part of future podcast episodes you can email me at emily at infertilemillennial.com and make sure to follow my Instagram accounts at Emily Orlando, E-M-I-L-Y-Y Orlando, like Florida, and our brand page Infertile Millennial to get included on asking questions for future podcast episodes. Without any further ado, let's welcome Kelly. All right, so I have Kelly here with me today, and she is going to be sharing her IVF journey with us, her fertility journey, and um, a little bit about pregnancy loss and all of that. So Kelly, first of all, I just want to tell you, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's really brave of you to want to open up and share such an intimate part of your life. Um, So I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about you and your husband. When did you guys get married? Sure. Yeah. So I met my husband in 2013. Um, We knew pretty quickly that we liked each other a lot. Things were moving along fairly quick. We ended up getting married in 2015. So September of 2015. And I remember when he gave me the engagement ring, I swear to you, I said, before I said yes, I said, does this mean we can have babies now? That was like the first thing out of my So Fast forward now, obviously that's been a little bit of a challenge, but in 2015, so in September of 2015, we decided about a month before the wedding that I would stop birth control because we knew that some for some people that can take time for their bodies to adjust. So I stopped birth control in about August of 2015. And um, it was challenging for us to go through this or still is challenging for us to go through this infertility journey because we live rural like we live super rural so it's really challenging for us to get to doctor's appointments and to get to clinics etc so Mm -hmm. we started trying for uh, or we started getting assistance I would say about a year and a half in we knew something obviously wasn't up um, but it took us a really long time to get a lot of the testing done because we had to drive the closest place for us to get testing done was two hours away and most most Well, the one clinic I have where I live was four and a half hour drive. So it was really, really challenging. Yeah, very challenging for us to get all the testing done. So, yeah, we started trying in September of 2015. So we've had one pregnancy in that period of time, but no live births. Um, So it's been definitely a challenging five and a half-ish years. But I've learned a lot about myself, my Mm -hmm. marriage, 
cetera over the years. I can tell you that much. Oh yeah, definitely. I feel like I get asked all the time, like how has infertility taken a toll on your marriage? And it's like, I feel like you really truly learn a lot more about your partner going through all of that than ever before. It's sad though, because it can definitely either make or break, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, there's no, for me, there's no real in between. It either makes you that much stronger or it tears you apart. And you do have a choice in that. Mm -hmm. It's just, I've learned we need to communicate more. We need to talk about our emotions more. Although I think that's more me that does the talking, but Hey, it makes (laughs) me feel better. So yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. That's exactly what I would say is like communication, talking about emotions for sure. Exactly. So you started right from the get-go. You wanted to start trying. Um, Was there anything that happened that made you, was it just that it was taking longer than expected? Or was there anything that made you start thinking something was wrong? Or was it just time? I think just time. I think... Like when we started trying how I'm, I'm terrible at math. I'm going to say I was like 27 ish years old, 28 years old. So I wasn't super duper young, but I also wasn't at an age where I felt like it was concerning yet. Mm-hmm. So I would say, yeah, about after the year, I was like, mm, okay, something's up. But I never really imagined that like I would be where I am now and still not have children. So yeah. I think that's the most challenging thing looking back is like, I wish I could have told myself then what Mm -hmm. I know now saying like be prepared you'll be good be strong like so yeah it was just the time of like okay when when supposedly when you get to about a year of trying it hasn't happened naturally that's when you're supposed to seek help and yeah so and I'm glad we did because yeah here we are I think that's about what we did too but I think there was just something in my heart because we were we were 20 21 and it wasn't happening. And so I was like, how in the world? So I think I started having a feeling, but it wasn't, it. we honestly didn't do anything until just over a year as well. Because I was like, maybe I'm just being, you know, over emotional about it. I want it so bad, but yeah. Um, so what testing did you have done before moving forward with fertility treatments? So looking back, I, ha- I wish a little bit that we had gotten more testing done and I'll explain why. But for me personally, they did tons of blood work for like hormones, thyroid. Um, I guess when I say tons, that's not fair because they're doing even more now going through fertility treatments to even test like, oh gosh, I don't even know how to say a lot of the words, but like certain things with the way that your blood clots and certain like crazy things now. But when I first started, it was yeah, hormonal stuff. So testing my day three, I guess it'd be LH, FSH, um, whatever else they test day three, day 21 progesterone, they confirmed that I was ovulating. It was a lower number. So they weren't concerned, but they did say it was a little bit on the lower side. And then I had the not so fun HSG test. So that's the uterine dye test. Mm -hmm. So um, that one showed my tubes were all clear, all was good there. So I was happy with that. And I'd actually heard that, I don't want to say it's common, but it happens where people actually get pregnant after that test because it clears everything out, cleans out. I actually know someone who did recently. (laughs) Me too. And I was like, what happened to me? And I I know. They got married actually the month before my husband and I did. So you know what? I'm so excited for them. It is amazing. But I'm like, dang, why couldn't that have happened mm-hmm. for me? But but yeah, so I got the HSG test. And after that, I was like, holy moly, this was crazy. I don't know if I can like continue this. With, like for those who've had it, it's not comfortable. For those who haven't had it, it's definitely worth it. It takes like 10 seconds to do. And it just makes sure that your tubes are open. So yeah. I got that done. And then my husband got his sperm test done. 
but they never did any blood work for him. And I think, and that's what I mentioned at the beginning where I wish I would have kind of pushed more for that. They did not test any testosterone, his vitamin D, like they never really tested anything for him, which in hindsight, it might not be that valuable, but I do wish that we did a little bit more investigation at that point. So after that, um, they'd said his sample was good. Everything looked good. And I'm air quoting, everything looked good for both of us. So then we decided to try a couple IUIs before we moved to IVF. But again, because of the location for the clinic for us mm-hmm. to do an IUI was like nine hours of driving. So we only did yeah. two. It was just, it was too much, uh, too far. Um, and they just didn't know why it wasn't happening. If it happening, if they would have said IUI is a definite, it's going to happen. We probably would have done the nine hour drive many times, mm-hmm. but they more or less said, we don't know why it's not happening we recommend IVF and it was like, then we're not going to do any more of these. Cause that's a lot of driving for us to have a small possibility of it happening. Yeah, no, I totally feel you. We don't, we're not as far away from our clinic, but it is about an hour and a half. And even, even that is like, okay, this is a whole, you know, day. Our hour and a half drive is only twice. Cause I have to do it for the transfer and for the hysteroscopy. The other one's a little closer. So it is, but I feel you, the driving is really, uh, even that takes a toll on the whole thing. 100%. Yeah. So when when did you decide to do IVF? So our first round was in May of 2019 then. So we had been trying for quite a, quite a few years at that point in time. So what, that's four years and a little bit, I think, or is my math wrong? What did I say we started? No, not quite four years. So three and a half. Sorry. So yeah, our first round was in May 2019. And I remember going to so originally, we got referred to the um, OBGYN or gynecologist or whatever. But um, I remember him saying to us like, you're great candidates for IVF. And I laughed at him only because my biggest fear in life is needles. Like I've passed out. Biggest fear in life. So I pretty much was like, there's no chance you would ever catch me doing that. So May 2019 comes around and I looked at my husband. I was like, well, guess you're doing the needles for me. And each time we did them, I'd lay on the bed. I'd scream into a pillow. I would like hyperventilate. But you know what? It was so worth it because of what the outcome was that I wanted. So yeah, May 2019 was our first cycle and it didn't go great. Um, We had learned the hard way that the only eggs that were going to fertilize was through ICSI. So they had done half ICSI, half IVF. So ultimately that means they've, force fertilized half they tried to let the other half just do their own thing the ones that they tried to let do their own thing so through the IVF none of them fertilized so thank goodness that the clinic we went to said we typically do half and half um because yeah we would have left that cycle absolutely defeated we were already defeated after it but it just would have been a lot different so we had one decent embryo out of that they did transfer that embryo. It was the first ever positive pregnancy test I'd ever seen. So it was a pretty dang exciting day. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very short lived though. So my first um, beta test came back like super duper low. It was like 25 or I, I don't even remember what it was, but it was really low. They kept sending me back. I kept doubling like it's supposed to. I got up to 400 and some, and then I started bleeding and I was like, Ooh, this isn't a great sign. How exact, what exactly happened at the end? I know you said that you started bleeding, but they did, were they not able to catch that it was going to, you were going to lose it? Or was it just randomly one day you just started bleeding? I kind of, I hate that in like the infertility world or, or a lot of things with pregnancy, you kind of blame yourself for things. So 
my number was really good. I was feeling great. Um, we live rural on a farm. My husband one day was going out to check cows, jumped on the quad, and I went out on the quad, and it was super duper bumpy. So, like, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, my God, that caused it. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I know it's not no. the case, but, you know, that piece of you always and, yeah. wonders and worries and stresses. So, no, my the number came back good. They I was 400 and something. They had sent me the email saying, yay, you're pregnant. This is your due date. This is what the next steps are. And they kind of told me what to do next. And I started working on some of those things. And then just one day I was laying in bed at night and thought, "Mm, this is not, this doesn't feel right. Like something's not good. And then, yeah, I I passed the embryo, I believe in the morning. So I, I, yeah, I, I, I felt it coming. I knew what was going on. My body just wasn't. It, it knew something was up. Like I said, it just, it knew something yeah. was up. So I have to trust the fact that my body knew. And as hard as that is to swallow sometimes, it's just, we have to have grace with our bodies and ourselves and knowing that it knows best and it, it did what was right for, for our bodies and for the, the embryo. I agree. I think having a lot of grace and being gentle with your body is key because I, I was very hard on mine. And it is, we have to remember, like, there's nothing we could have done to prevent it. And I try to reiterate that to everyone out there who's going through pregnancy loss or miscarriage. No matter if you did fertility treatments to get there, it's so easy to blame yourself. It's so important to not do that because it's not your fault. No, and I, I, I've i gotten better over the years at... Like my first two years were the hardest. Those were the ones where I was like blaming myself for it. I was like, why isn't this happening? I suck. Why am I failing? Like the first two years were really, really hard. And then I think I came to realize like, that's not going to help me get pregnant. No, That is yeah. not helping the situation out. So I flipped, I flipped this switch a little bit. It took a little bit of time. It wasn't just that easy, but of understanding that I need to respect my body, myself. I need to also one thing even being on the podcast be vulnerable with people and explain to them what I'm going through because that makes it that makes me feel better as well it's it's like this like therapy thing where you get to talk and explain what you're going through and so yeah it it took a while to understand that I had to have grace for like with myself but it it definitely it teaches you so much when you learn to respect your body and respect just time and what's going on with you and everything like Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot and I'm appreciative of what I've learned but would I trade it? Heck yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I've learned a lot. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone? It's kind of basically what you were just saying, but um, what advice would you give to someone who went through IVF only to have it end in miscarriage? Yeah, I think it goes back to probably the G word, the grace word. I know that it's such a it's such a hard situation to go through. Just IVF on its own is a beast and a challenge, mm-hmm. let alone now adding into the mix, um, a miscarriage. And I know that for me, they called it a chemical pregnancy. And I, I don't really like that, that term. Cause to me, that's kind of like almost saying like, it wasn't a baby. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, it was, it was just more a medical thing than anything. And you know, I'm mine was a miscarriage. It was five weeks, one day, it was meant to be a baby and it wasn't a baby. So I definitely, I definitely use the G word. So have grace with yourself. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned, and this is just through infertility in general, but I think it really relates to miscarriages, taking the time to do the things that you need to do. So if you can't go to work or if you don't want to go to a friend's birthday, or if you don't want, or if you want to delete someone on Facebook or like you have to take care of yourself first 
mm-hmm. before you worry about everything else going on around you. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't understand when I do it to them. And I get it. They don't understand what it's like to go through infertility. They don't understand how hard it is to see certain things on Facebook. So not only just through miscarriage, but I think also through this infertility journey, we have to do what we feel is best for ourselves. And that's not selfish at all. And I think that took me some time to appreciate and understand that I'm not being selfish. Yep, 100% agree with you. It took me a really long time to even think that that was something I had to do. Honestly, it probably wasn't until the end of last year that I realized like how important putting yourself first is. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, these next treatments we do, I'll have a different outlook, (laughs) but it's so, it's so much more helpful. So how, so you said right away, uh, you start another treatment. How soon after that miscarriage did you jump into another? So... I had to do three months of DHEA before we did our second round. So it was pretty quick after. So let's see. So if we would have done that round in September, so I would have started in like June-ish. Okay. So I would have started right away. So they must have had me on DHEA almost immediately after the miscarriage because I like, I was in this, like, I don't want to say a high, but I was like, oh my God, it can work. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. Like I'm feeling it. Like I was just, I was like ramped up on adrenaline as crazy as that sounds going through IVF. Like, but it was like this excitement of, I got a positive pregnancy test and holy crap, this can work. This can happen. So yeah, I'm pretty sure they put me on the DHEA right away, but they did tell me that I had to be on it for three months prior to. So if they hadn't put me on DHEA, I can guarantee you, I would have been like, okay, when can I, when can I come next? Like, so the DHEA kind of got me to slow down even a little bit more, which is good because I'm a very type A anxious type person that it's it's almost like I needed them to force me to just like take a step back and just chill out for a sec. So for, for those who don't know, can you explain what DHEA is? Yeah, I actually don't even really know, which is kind of bad because they were like, okay. hey, you should take DHEA. And I was like, hey, cool, great. I'll take it. Essentially, my understanding is that it helps with egg quality. So they had more or less said that because our embryos, so during our two cycles, the embryos would fertilize. So again, only the ICSI ones, which is the forced fertilization, but they would all stop growing. So essentially they say they were resting and they attributed that to egg quality. Now, the sucky thing with that is there's really not great testing or even, I don't even know if there is testing to test egg quality. So they told me it was egg quality. So the concept was I would take DHA for three months and they were hoping that that would help improve my egg quality, but it did not do anything. So no, I'm not super familiar with the drug, which I probably should be considering (laughs) I took it for three months, but I feel like through this journey, and that's something I've also gotten better in certain aspects is like a lot of the drugs and things we take, I don't really know what they are. I just take them. Mm -hmm. Like I I need to be better at understanding what is this going to do to my body? What's it going to do after I've done take, like after I'm done taking it, what's the long-term effects? Like, I didn't do enough research around that, but that's a big, that's a big undertaking because there's a lot of different drugs we take at high dosages and mm-hmm. lots, lots going on. I feel like when you're doing IVF, you just kind of, you do whatever they say because they're the professionals and they know what they're talking about and you kind of just, you don't ask questions, you just go forward with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're exactly, exactly right. During your second round, was it just, it just didn't take or what what ended up happening? Yeah, so the second round, um, it was quite devastating when the lab called and said, like, your embryos are kind of doing the same thing. They're arresting again. And it was like, how is that possible? Like, literally, we just did, again, the three months of DHA. How is that possible? And they kept saying, well, there's one decent embryo. I'm like, okay, same thing as last time, but that's okay. Maybe it's just even better quality than last time. And 
the embryos that were growing in both the cycles, they were okay. They didn't rate them great. They were okay. Um, so we had the one embryo to transfer and I never got a positive test at all. So obviously the DHEA, I don't, I don't want to say it made things worse, but it definitely did not. It wasn't the piece of the puzzle we needed. Um, so I ended up doing a consult with a different clinic, not because I didn't love my clinic. I just thought, you know, if we're going to do a third round, I want, I want another opinion. And there were a few things that they said that I was pretty excited about. It felt different. It felt like they were going to try a few different things because we're going into our third round saying, this is our last, like, if this doesn't work, this is our last try. So it's, it's kind of that go big or go home mentality. Like I'm going to do what they say I need to be doing. I've changed my diet, which is something they don't really, and when I say they, it's um, like, I'm going to call it mainstream medicine or like your doctors at a fertility clinic are going to say, these are the drugs you're going to take. This is what's going to happen. Whereas I've stepped back a little bit further and said, okay, well, what, what does my body need? What, what internally do I need to do? Or can I help in order to make this more successful. So I've kind of worked on my diet as well, which has been challenging because I like sweets and I like carbs. So it's been, <laughs> it's been an uphill battle. Who doesn't? <laughs> I, know, I know, I know, especially Easter just happened. My oh God. gosh. All the chocolate. All the chocolate. <laughs> yeah. but, but again, it's that long-term, do I want to be a mom? Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay, what do I need to do to make that happen? I need to do X, Y, Z. I also wanted to touch on this subject is a lot of people don't understand that a failed IVF round feels also like a grieving process. I don't know if you felt the same way after yours. I actually didn't realize that I was grieving after my failed transfer. And then I moved right into my second. And then I actually didn't grieve my failed transfer until after I grieved my miscarriage, which is interesting. But do you feel like you kind of went through the same thing? I don't really know. Like for me, going into the first round was exciting. And then leaving the first round, I feel like I was more confused than anything because I did not, and this is probably my own fault, I did not go into IVF understanding that it might not work. Okay. I, I literally went into it being like, okay, this is this is how it will work for us, and that's okay. I didn't I didn't understand it still might not work. I had I guess there would there had to have been a small piece of me, but I didn't really fully understand that. So I think leaving round one. Um, it was more confusion, but then I, I was pregnant after that round again for a very short period of time, but I was pregnant. So after, after the miscarriage, I don't feel like I did actually grieve. And, and I think again, that it attributes to the fact that I, I had come to understand and believe that the embryos weren't growing properly and to look on, and I'm air quoting the bright side that my body understood how to be pregnant. It could actually like my uterine lining I was told my endometrium was beautiful by a doctor so obviously (laughs) I had I had a good endometrium like I don't know like I I think I I grieve more the natural cycles than I did the IVF cycles which is super super odd um but I think it's a lot because and I'm not a religious person but I think a lot of it is because the IVF cycles I put in someone else's hands whether being God's hands or whoever's hands whereas the natural cycles feel like they're more me like I'm it's my fault it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. I've never actually thought, yeah, I've never thought of the grieving post IVF versus just grieving in general. So that's an interesting question. Everybody is going to feel differently about IVF or whatever. And 
I think I personally had a harder time with IVF than natural cycles, but I did have, there's, there's a grieving process that comes with infertility in general that I don't even think a lot of us are aware. And it's something I think you don't realize until you really take a look at, oh, maybe I have anxiety because of this, or maybe I'm feeling really depressed because of infertility, not because of, you know, X, Y, or Z. It's, I think we don't realize how it truly does affect us, but it affects us all differently. Oh my God. And you know, it makes me really, really sad to think like, what was life like before this started? What was my life like? How, how did I feel every day? I was probably happy. I'm I'm happy now. Like I'm Mm -hmm. not, I'm not sad all the time. Mm -mm. I actually was saying to a friend the other day that my sadness is very like cyclical, right? Because it's week one in your cycle. You're like, well, I got my period. This sucks. I'm really sad, blah, blah, blah. Then ovulation starting to come like, yes, this is the cycle. This is amazing. It's going to (laughs) work. Like our cycles within themselves are so cyclical on our emotions. And actually what's really interesting about the, the grieving thing is I started seeing a fertility counselor and she's amazing. And in my first session with her, I said something along the lines of, I no, what did I say? I'm, I'm just going to kind of make, not make it up, but I more or less said something like, I feel like I'm grieving. And she kind of sternly, but very nice. It was like, no, you are grieving. Like it's, it was, she really wanted me to understand that it is a grieving process. So I think what you're saying is, yeah, a lot of people don't understand or really realize that they're grieving and it happens again every month for us. So it happens on a monthly basis. It happens nonstop nonstop until either we have a child, which I think then it's still always there because it's still in the back of our heads or we decide not to have children. And again, it's still always there. Like it's infertility is long-term grieving, which is awful. It's an awful thing to experience. And I I love that you um, brought up that you are seeing a fertility counselor because I very much think I didn't realize how important seeing a counselor during all this would be. And so I myself started seeing one and I could not recommend it more to people struggling with infertility because you just don't realize, like we mentioned before, the weight that it puts on you and the toll that it takes. And so it it really does help to talk to someone about it, whether it's just a counselor or somebody you met online (laughs) or whoever, you know, it just, it's really helpful to talk about it. Well, I think the biggest thing or the thing that took me the longest Um, was that I said, I don't want to just go see a counselor. I wanted to see someone who understood because as much as going to a counselor, a general counselor is great. I just think that they don't fully understand the emotions that come with infertility. So I made sure that the person that I chose understood infertility because that was really important for me. And yeah, she has been wonderful. Like, She's been amazing. So I do think it's really, really important because I remember, I would say in year like two or three, my mom was like, you should go see a counselor. Like, I think some of the things you're feeling and doing maybe aren't right. I'm like, "Mm, okay, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So then when I went to the counselor, I talked to her a lot about all of them. She's like, normal, normal. Mm -hmm. We all do that, normal. And I was like, okay, I'm not crazy. That's good. Like, so it was just nice to know that I, the emotions and the things that I'm going through they're not great things, but they're not out of the ordinary. And I'm not being a crazy person. Like they're just normal, unfortunate emotions to go through. So once you went through those two rounds, did your doctor recommend anything differently or were they just... The only real thing... So round one to round two, the only thing we really changed was the addition of the DHEA for the three months prior. And then I did the same... So the two drugs that I was taking to stimulate were Gonal F and Menopur. So the gonal F dosage stayed the same. The menopir, they doubled it, which sucked. For anyone who's taken menopir, the, mm-hmm. the fake name for it is menoburn because yes. yeah, 
burns as it goes into it the does. Earth. I was like, can't you increase the other one? I'm like, oh, <laughs> the other one. So they they understood, or they sorry, what I understood from them is that the the menopir would help with the egg quality again as well. So between the two things, they were really hoping that the egg quality would improve. Um, and then the second opinion for the potential third round, like they're, they want to do a completely different drug. They talked about different procedures that I actually wasn't even quite familiar with. So I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling very hopeful about round three because I feel like it is quite a different protocol versus uh, one and two. Um, but yeah, two, they changed up a little bit. It just, I felt like the, what they changed up would have been great if they were saying egg quality was a problem and we were changing these two things to help with egg quality again I thought oh well perfect this is gonna work again like or this one's gonna work and then it didn't yeah so so three lucky number three I have a feeling yeah that's what I'm hoping for too (laughs) so when do you plan to do a third round are you just waiting to see what happens with COVID for a while just kind of it's all on what you want to do or well and see this is where so originally I had kind of said February so obviously February is coming gone so I mean like February that just happened February um but with COVID that kind of restricted that but also um we live rural again like I said and we live on a farm with a lot of cows so we can only leave the farm at a specific point in time throughout the year so there's only a couple months in a year where we can leave. And what I mean by that is like in the winter, we have to feed them every single day. In the summer, we have to go out and it's called cut our hay. So like certain times of the year, we literally cannot leave. We're very, very restricted. Um, So when my husband did come for round one and round two, he only came for two days. That's all he could leave the farm. So we have to pick a time of the year where there's just not much going on here. So I'm thinking like November, October, like, okay. Yeah, so it's so it's a lot different for us to like it doesn't I don't want to say it doesn't fit into our life well, but it's definitely more challenging because of our responsibilities being on the farm. So my dad tries to come out and help and family try to help us out. But it's just my husband is like the the guy, the farm guy, all of it. So I'm hoping the fall of this year, but then part of me is like, oh man, I'm gonna be 34 this year. Like at what point, like I'm getting older. At what point do I get a little bit more worried? They told me that um what's called your egg reserve so essentially how many eggs you have left in you because when you're born you have the eggs you'll have for your entire life so they've told me I'm I'm not low but I'm on like the lower side of normal and I'm so I get my head I get my head where Mm -hmm. I'm like should we do it sooner should we do it like so I'm thinking that big long answer I'm thinking like fall is what I'm what I'm thinking and again yes very dependent on COVID as well so I I'd love to know what advice would you give to someone who's going through IVF for the very first time So what I did, and I'm so glad I did it, is I, it was a girl I knew personally, but I just sat on the the phone with her one day for probably an hour and a half, and I just asked her literally every question I could think of. She was amazing. She answered everything. She told me things I would have never thought of. I made notes. So when I went in to our first IVF round, not a lick of me was worried or scared. Like I knew to the T exactly what was going to happen. So I was not stressed out about any of it. So, and I think the, the actual procedure, like the retrieval procedure can be a little intimidating, right? When you're Mm -hmm. researching about what it entails, you're like, they're doing what? So again, (laughs) having her walk me through it was fantastic. And for anyone who's not done an IVF round yet, I know the retrievals can be very different for everyone, but in my first retrieval, I was loopy and I guess I woke up at one point and looked at my husband and said, 
oh, I thought I was in Starbucks right now. <laughs> that just goes to show that like some people is just such a, and I'm air quoting again, such an easy thing, right? Like it's, it's, you just, you have to let it play out the way it's supposed to. You have to try to relax as much as you can. And I think I attribute that a lot to the fact that I had this, I'm going to call her a mentor. I had this mentor that mm-hmm. I spoke with before and I was just, I was so ready to go. So I would recommend that. And then I would just recommend trusting. I know that on an infertility journey, that's probably one of the hardest things to do, but just trusting that whatever's supposed to happen for you is what's going to happen, whether it be good or bad, unfortunately, but just trusting your journey. And yeah, I'm five and a half years in and I try my hardest to trust, but I do feel like the longer I've gone on, the more I do trust because by not trusting, I'm also not helping anything. Trust and just having patience too, I think. Patience. <laughs> it's not mine either, but let me tell you, I feel like IVF taught me a lot about patience. <laughs> yep, those life lessons. I wish I would have done them in a different way sometime. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like we learned a lot about ourselves and a lot about life, but then we had to go through all of that stuff to get there. So so I want to end this interview with you with a couple of questions that um, I had people on my Instagram stories just kind of ask if there were any questions about IVF or fertility journeys. So one of the questions, first of all, I guess I should ask, have you experienced anxiety with IVF? And if so, how did you deal with it? So unfortunately, I dealt with anxiety prior to IVF, so or infertility in general. So I think for me, that was a hard thing to work through is the anxiety I was already feeling. Um, again, my first couple of years were the hardest. My first couple of years is where like I would cry at the drop of a hat. I didn't want to see or do anything like it was really, really hard. But I've learned that self-care is so important and that saying no to things I don't want to do or I'm not comfortable doing is also very important. I don't go to things that I know are going to be triggering and what triggering means in this sense is I'm not going to baby showers. There's no Mm -hmm. chance because I know I'm not going to be happy there. I know I'm going to come home and I'm going to bawl my eyes out. I just I know what things I can and cannot do and I'm okay with choosing to do only the things I appreciate and want to do. So I would say my anxiety is worse now than it's ever been, but I've learned to deal with it better. So I'm actually improving it. You know what I mean? Like my anxiety is worse than when I was younger and I struggled, but I've actually learned now how to pay more attention to it and actually understand how to deal with it. Whereas when I was younger, the doctor was like, Hey, you should take this drug. Mm -hmm. No, now it's, I need to meditate. I need to take a path. I need to read. I need to like, I've learned all of these different methods. So I I definitely think that people can look into things like EFT tapping is a great way to like learn to relax, Um, diffusing essential oils in your house, meditating. And when I say meditating, if you're someone who doesn't meditate, I don't mean like literally sitting there within like what's called a mudra and like hanging out, like you can just lay on your bed and just like try to relax. And so I highly, highly recommend even if you're not feeling anxious though, to do those things Mm -hmm. because that will also improve the outcome of your cycle. I agree with you. Self-care for sure is like one of the best ways. What is one thing you wish you knew about IVF before starting it? Definitely the fact that it's not a guaranteed baby. And I know that that sucks for some people to hear, but it's it's definitely one of those things that I needed to hear before because I went into round one just being like, okay, this is how we're having a baby and that's okay. It's still hopefully going to be how we have a baby, but I didn't understand that it wasn't a for sure. So that, that that's the hard truth that I would say that I wish I would have known before is that there's just, there is a possibility still. 
and the doctors are going to do everything that they can. And I just, again, have to let Jesus take the wheel and let things play out the way that they're supposed to. Another question someone had was, what symptoms did you have after your embryo transfer? I don't know if they're asking about a transfer that didn't take or for uh, the one that did, but either way, were there? did you have similar symptoms between both? Maybe that would be more helpful for them. So what's actually a little bit ironic about that question is I was just planning out my social media for the week and one of my posts was talking about the fact that infertility has made me more aware of my body. So every little twinge and tweak and movement and cramp, you're like, oh my God, that's implanting. Yes, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you go through infertility, you recognize all these little things in your body now. So round one, I definitely found after the transfer, um, a pulling sensation, which they talk a lot about that can happen during implantation. So I felt a pulling sensation. Now, for those who don't actually know how a transfer works, it's literally for a woman kind of like getting a pap smear. Like that's really all it is. You kind of get a pap. They obviously put an embryo into you, but very, very straightforward. So some people do cramp-ish after they get the pap, but that's more related to what they're doing. But post-transfer and after actually leaving the doctor, yeah, I felt some pulling sensations. Um, I had a little bit of spotting leading up to, so that had me a little bit, anxious because I was like oh my god I don't like this is how my periods typically start here we go again so I got in my head a little bit but the biggest one for me was a pulling sensation round two I didn't have any sensations so I was not shocked when it was negative because I didn't have I didn't really have much showing or telling me that there was a possibility and I know some people don't feel anything I get that but I think because round one I had felt something I had gotten in my head saying round two didn't work and I yeah I felt nothing the second go around I agree with you I think with the transfer where it didn't take, you think everything is a symptom and then come to find out it's really not. And I I got a little bit of cramping after the first embryo transfer. Um, But the one that was positive, I had some wild dreams. (laughs) So that's how I knew I was pregnant. Oh my gosh, just the most vivid, colorful, wild dreams. And that's what made me realize (laughs) that I was pregnant. It was wacky. It was like, I, I would wake up every morning. I was like, what was that? The transfer is honestly so easy, so slick. Like, I remember after I got the transfer being like, that's it. Oh, I know, right? And then you just kind of lay there and then you go home. <laughs> the coolest part for me about getting the transfer is the, I don't know how to actually say the term, but it's P-U-P-O, pregnant until proven otherwise. So you leave the clinic and you're like, I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. I am pregnant. <laughs> like. Yeah. So that's a really cool thing. The transfer is such, well, the whole, the whole IVF thing is such a, wow. Like yeah. whoever decided that's how they were going to try to help someone have a baby. They were crazy. You know what I mean? Like doing yeah. the things that they did to try to figure it out, but unbelievable the entire procedure. It's actually quite interesting to learn about it and go through it, it because it's, it's really cool. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really glad that you wanted to share your story. I feel like it's going to be really helpful for anyone listening. I think that, it's helpful for people to share their stories because even if your story isn't identical, they might be able to relate to something that you went through and be like, oh, okay, it wasn't just me. I'm not alone. I agree. Well, thank you for having me. I've definitely become more and more comfortable over the years telling my story because I do believe wholeheartedly that people hearing my story, like you said, whether they can relate 100% or not, they can take things from it. They can learn from it. They can do whatever they need to from what I'm saying or just feel, yeah, that I, you're not alone. Like you're not, you're not living this life that no one else understands. Find the people who understand 
and hold on to them tight because that will be a big part of helping you through the journey as well. Well, you guys, it's been great having Kelly on here. I love it when women can open up, share their story, break the stigma about infertility and miscarriage, and allow other people going through similar journeys to feel a little bit less alone. So thank you again, Kelly, for coming on here today. And if you would like to be included in a future episode of Infertile Millennial, then make sure to email me at emily at infertilemillennial.com, and I will see you guys in the next episode.